0: Now our scripture reading today will be taken from Romans chapter 11. If you'd open your Bibles there, please Romans chapter 11 We're going to be looking at Verses 13 to 24 today if you're visiting with us today, we're going straight through the book of Romans In verse 1 of chapter 11, you'll notice Paul says I say then And then he says the same thing again in verse 11. I say then now in the first verse of the chapter, he was talking about the fact that God has not cast away Israel. And in the second I say then, he's going to focus on the Gentiles and explain to them the privilege they have of being grafted into a program with Israel. So he's emphasizing that by the two I say thens. Now you'll notice as we begin reading in verse 13, but I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles in as much then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the Branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith, do not be conceited, but fear. We'll just pause here a minute in verse 20. Notice what we stand in, our faith, our faith, not our works. We stand in our faith. In fact, their unbelief had a lot of works. So just observe that there when you're looking at verse 20. We stand in a relationship with God by our faith, but do not be conceited, but fear. For If God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Now, I want to point out something about the pronoun you. It's singular. What God is doing here is he's describing two programs, one with Israel, one with the Gentiles. He's using the singular pronoun you to refer to the Gentile program. In fact, it's impossible for God to cut off a relationship with a believer in Jesus Christ because we're already linked to Jesus Christ forever. So he's discussing two types of programs, a program that he has for Israel, a program that he has for Gentiles that is non-Jewish. In verse 22, he says, Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you, that is to you, the Gentiles, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you, that is the Gentiles, also will be cut off. And they also... If they do not continue in their unbelief, and there again is the issue, it's faith, which is what the Jews don't have. They don't have faith in Christ, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Now, We just sang earlier, we're marching to Zion. We're not marching to Zion. Israel's marching to Zion. We're looking forward to going to heaven because there are two programs. You have a program for national Israel, and you have a program also for those that are non-Jewish people, and we're actually singing songs about that with that in mind this morning. That's how Brian has selected them. May God add his blessing to the reading of that text. It's a powerful text we just read and the exposition of it later. Will you join with me, please, in prayer? Heavenly Father, we bow before thee today and thank you for your goodness, for your greatness, for your grace. We thank you for including us into a program that obviously you've designed for Israel. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to be grafted in to a relationship with you through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, And Lord, when we read a passage of scripture like this, we cannot help but be moved to pray for Israel. She's a land that's filled with a lot of religion. There's religious Judaism, there's Sunni Islamism, fills that land. And both of those systems are systems of religious works. So we especially pray for Israel in light of this text, that she would realize that the key to a relationship with you is not through her religious works, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we see in this passage in Romans that we're supposed to be people who make other people jealous because of our relationship with you. We pray that you would make us become that individually and also as a church collectively. We pray that our relationship would be such with you that it would be so dynamic that other people would want what we have. We pray for the sick of this church, Lord. We have many who are very, very sick in this church, and that's not some delusional hypochondria, We pray for Barb DeVries and Vic Fitzsimmons and Florence Glidden and Margie Johnson, just to name some. We pray that you would please help them and please heal them. We pray for those that are discouraged and troubled, that you would stabilize them. We pray for those who have needs, whatever they may be, that you would supply them. We pray for this country. We pray for our leaders. We pray that you would save them, that you would turn your minds to ways that would enable them to make decisions that would benefit thy people. And Lord, as we look for the conclusion of this church age, we would pray that you would come get us soon. In Jesus' name, amen. When we lived out west in Idaho, in the Rocky Mountains, I took a real interest in going deep into those mountains by foot and by horse. I enjoyed going in there alone, and I enjoyed going in there with other people. Fact of the matter is, every year people die in those mountains, so I took some courses that were very helpful for me when I was there. I took a course on how to trailer load a horse, how to take a horse that's never been in a can like a trailer and how to walk them into that trailer. I took a course on packing horses, how to use Decker saddles and uh, sawbuck saddles, and I learned a lot about diamond hitch knots and basket hitch knots. In fact, there was a guy when I was taking that course who said, there's a guy in Idaho Falls who used to run 20 mule team in Death Valley of mules, and he said, this guy could tie knots. I said, I want to go see the guy. He was an old man. We went to his house. Mary and I drove to Idaho Falls one day. I knock on his door. He comes to the door. I said, are you the guy that we're in Death Valley? I said, I have a bunch of questions I'd like to ask you. He goes, oh yeah, I spent a lot of years in Death Valley running a 20-mule team group of animals. So I said, well, how did you tie that diamond hitch? He said, come on out in my shop. He had a full mannequin of a horse. He took that thing. I'm telling you, I've never seen a guy who could tie a diamond hitch so fast in all my life. But it was just incredible to watch this old man with his skills work at that. I took a course on mountain survival and backpacking. That was important because I needed to learn that. I had a guy in our church in Idaho who was a medical doctor, and he came to me one Sunday. He said, look, there's going to be a course for doctors on mountain medical treatment at Idaho State University. Would you like to go? Because I can get you in. I said, absolutely, I'd like to go. So on the day of the course, I probably was the only non-doctor in attendance. They used some medical terms I didn't fully grasp, but I gleaned a lot from that course. The vast majority of things that they were sharing, I could really get. Of course, one of the things they kept stressing in this medical course is tell the people that cotton kills them. Don't wear cotton when you go in the mountains because it'll kill you. You'll start hiking up a mountain. You'll start perspiring. It doesn't breathe. Then you're going to get chilled. You go into hypothermia. You end up dying. Now, I was invited to that lecture, a lecture that was for doctors. Suppose I would have gone into the lecture and started to downplay the doctors, and I'd have gone into that lecture and said, what are you guys doing here? This medical lecture is for me. They'd have said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're kind of backwards here. This lecture is for us. You've been invited into this. Don't come in here and maximize you and minimize us because you're the one who needs to be minimized. That's exactly what most Gentiles do to the Jews. That's what most Christians do to Jews. That's what most churches do to Jews. They minimize Israel, they maximize themselves. And Paul, when he writes this, says, "No way. no way do you do that in the gospel of God." As you know, I was taught doctrine and theology by Mr. Miles, who was taught by Lewis Berry Chafer. He used to say something to us that Dr. Chafer taught him, and he says, if you want to look for something that will determine we're near the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to rapture the church, don't look for the signs of Israel. Look at the condition of the church. And when you look at the condition of the church and you see that the church is making other things more significant than the word of God and the doctrines of God, or when you see churches making entertainment more important than truthfully communicating the word of God, or when you see churches that are promoting their religious things rather than truth, or you see people in a church downplaying Israel and telling people the church has replaced Israel, then you can know the end of the age is near. But this isn't new to our time. There's always been a prejudice that Gentiles have had against Israel. The truth is, the sad truth is, not many nations favor Israel. Not many Gentile nations love the nation Israel, and frankly, not many churches do either. When Paul wrote this part of the book of Romans, he was writing a book that revealed the doctrine of the grace of God he never never wanted the church to forget about the importance of the nation Israel. As we mentioned last week, Dr. Chaffer concluded four-fifths of the Bible pertains to Israel. One-fifth of the Bible pertains to the church. And one of the most serious problems in today's church is that it's just disregarded Israel. It doesn't even want to acknowledge the fact that she has a tremendous future in store for her. But Paul says when you understand the true gospel of the grace of God, you don't want to miss that point. So what he drives home in this part of Romans is that the Gentile believer and the Gentile church must never forget about the importance of the nation Israel. We owe a great debt to the nation Israel. And it's clear from verse 13 that Paul's addressing Gentiles. He says, I I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm telling you, I have a ministry that specifically is designed to take the gospel to the Gentile world. But I'm telling you, don't you ever forget about Israel. Don't ever minimize Israel. So what we have here is we have the key teacher and theologian, Concerning God's program with the Gentiles, who's the Apostle Paul and this key theologian and teacher of the Gentiles, is saying, Don't you ever forget about Israel. You don't get the grace gospel from Jesus, you get it from Paul. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was here, he was presenting himself as king of the Jews for Israel. And as a result of that, he was going and telling them, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We don't tell people that. We tell people, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Paul says, but when you tell them that, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, don't think for one second you've replaced Israel because you have it. Now in Acts 16, Paul took the grace gospel to Europe, eventually came to the United States, right across the Atlantic Ocean. Those of us that are in church today, those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ today, got that gospel from ultimately, if you track it far enough back to the apostle Paul who took it into Europe. His primary ministry was aimed at the Gentiles, but he never wanted the Gentiles or the church to forget about Israel. He always wanted them to remember the significance of Israel, and so he drives that point home here. Now, this is a maze of grammatical statements that he makes here that I'm going to point out to you. There are 11 key thoughts, as near as I can dissect it, that he develops in this part of the book of Romans. First of all, Paul's grace, ministry, and message to Gentiles has always had Israel's salvation in view. He says in verse 13, But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentile, I magnify my ministry if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. Now, Paul had a gift. His gift was being an apostle. That was a calling and a gift to Paul. And he magnified that. Actually, it's a word, doxaxo, which means he glorified. He actually glorified the ministry he had to the Gentiles. All of us who are in the family of God, who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of us have a debt we owe to Paul. Because Paul was the one who, clear back here, took the gospel to the Gentile world. Paul says, that was my ministry. My ministry was to take the gospel to the Gentile world. But I've never forgotten the Jews. Paul said, I've never once forgotten the Jews. Paul says, when the Jews were looking at me, part of what I wanted to do is have them look at me and my relationship with the Lord and actually become jealous of it to the point that they would believe in the Lord and be saved. they want the same kind of relationship that I have with the Lord, and they'd believe in him and be saved. Paul says, when the Jews see a relationship with me or with the Gentiles, and they say, wow, those people are experiencing the blessings of God, part of the wonderful results of them seeing people blessed of the Lord is they can simply become jealous of that relationship and want it themselves. Paul proclaimed the grace gospel that spoke highly of Israel, and he lived a life that reflected the power of God. In his message, and his life, if you watched him and you listened to him, it would prompt some of the Jews to say, you know, we'd like to have the same kind of relationship that guy has with God. He said, I viewed my ministry as that. Even though it was aiming at a Gentiles, I still viewed my ministry as that which could actually cause my fellow countrymen, my fellow Jewish brethren, to become jealous and want the same kind of relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. That's our job, ladies and gentlemen. That's part of our responsibility. Our lives should be a reflection of a relationship with God that has a dynamic relationship with God to the point that it makes people jealous of what we have. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. We are to create a form of envy evangelism. A critical way to do that is to develop a dynamic relationship with the Lord, a dynamic commitment to the Word of God. And Paul said, that's what I've been about. A critical way to save Israel is by saving Gentiles. And then the Gentile people are supposed to have such a wonderful relationship with the Lord that they actually make the Jewish people jealous of wanting that relationship with God themselves. But I think Donald Gray Barnhouse... The old Presbyterian preacher from Philadelphia hit the nail on the head. He said, There isn't much in our churches today that would provoke Israel to jealousy. When most Jews look at Christianity, they see a religion that's pretty much like their religion. Most have a spirituality that's stagnant, it's not vibrant. And when most people look at Christianity, you see a group of people that are comprised of a bunch of religious rituals and rules and buildings. You don't see too many people that are reflecting the dynamic relationship with God. So why would a Jew want that? They already have that. Warren Wiersbe said in most churches today, if Jews go to those services, it wouldn't provoke them to jealousy, it just provoke them. God wants us to have an intimate relationship with him. Part of the reason that he saved us is so that we can reflect that. That's why when we're saved, we're not immediately raptured. He leaves us here. Why? So we can develop and grow and learn and we can develop a vibrant relationship with him that will minister to other people. And God can use our testimony to change the lives of other people. And most people have a spirituality that's not going anywhere. So why would somebody look at somebody not going anywhere and say, well, I want what they have? In fact, most churches preach more about works than they do about the finished work of Jesus Christ. Most churches preach more about their rules and their rituals than they do teach the scriptures. But you keep this in your mind this week. When you're wherever you're at, on your job, at your school, in a store, in your neighborhood, with family, with friends, part of our responsibility is to reflect that we have a living relationship with God We are to display that fact, and as we do display that fact, God will use some of that to draw some people into a relationship with him. Paul said, that's part of my responsibility, and that's part of the Gentiles' responsibility. You know, when we first came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I didn't know anything about doctrine. I didn't know anything about these books of the Bible. All I knew is I believed in the Lord. So I just went to a church Maybe I just went to a church, and toward the end of the service of this one church, this music started playing, and these ladies started waving their hands, and they stepped out in the aisle, they started swaying, and I said, I don't know what these people have, but whatever it is, I don't want it. (laughs) And I said to Mary, let's get out of here. And out the door we went. They weren't reflecting the power of God, they didn't even reflect the fact they had sound minds. They looked like they were emotional, sensational people that were just drifting all over the place. Well, Paul says you are to be the kind of people that actually reflect you have a serious relationship with the Lord, and as you do reflect that, then that will move some to believe in the Lord. So there's his first thought. His second thought is Israel's rejection of Jesus Christ means reconciliation with God for the rest of the world, then her eventual reception means life from the dead. Verse 15: For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? That four verse 15 elaborates on the fact that at the present time Paul's ministry is aimed at taking the gospel to the Gentile world. He says, for the most part, Israel rejects. God right now. And it's true. Israel rejects Jesus Christ right now, generally speaking. I mean, when you look at the nation Israel, you don't see the great dynamic power of God in the nation Israel. You see turmoil in the Middle East every time you hear about it. But if God reconciled Gentiles to himself, I mean, if God took the time to bring people like us into a relationship with him, Paul says, you need to understand this. Eventually, he's going to bring that nation back to life. Eventually, he's going to take the nation that he's temporarily cut off the program with, and he's going to raise them back up. He's going to turn the program back to her. We cannot even begin to fathom the world and what it's going to be like when this whole world is reconciled with God. But when God, again, works with national Israel, it will be the dead brought back to life. As Ezekiel said, those dry bones of Israel are going to live again. God's going to raise up that nation. And Paul says, I understand that. I understand that right now, Gentiles can be reconciled to God, but I also understand that we aren't the end of the story here. There will come a day when God once again will work with national Israel. His third thought is Gentiles, who are classified by God as holy, originate from a holy program that God has with Israel. Verse 16 says, If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. Now, this illustration, Paul says that he uses here, comes from Numbers chapter 15. It's the illustration of dough and a lump of bread. A Jewish person would take a portion of the first part of the dough and offer it to the Lord in the bread offering. And that, in effect, was dedicating the rest of the bread to God. Obviously, if God accepts the lump or the piece of dough, he's going to accept the piece from which it came. Sometimes if someone makes a cake and you'll eat a little piece before it's ready to completely serve, if that small piece is good, you can assume the rest of it's going to be good too because the small piece was good. And Paul's point is if Gentile believers are set apart unto God and they have actually come out of roots that are Jewish, that's their source, Jewish, and it is true we came out of Jewish roots. In fact, the first who were converted to Christianity were Jews. The Bible has been written by Jews, with the exception of Dr. Luke. So all of our roots are in Israeli background. And what Paul is saying here is, we're the church, since we've been reconciled to God, and we are the ones like the lump that has been broken off, or we are like the branches that have been grafted in, then we can assume that what we're broken off from, what we're grafted into, also is going to be holy and committed to the Lord. In other words, Israel one day is going to be saved. We're part of her program. She's not part of our program. I had a mechanic one time work on my car, and right next to my car was his car. He had his up. He was working on mine because he was going to do his a little later. Well, he fixed mine, and by the virtue of the fact he fixed mine, I'm sure he's going to fix his. I mean, that basically is what Paul is saying here. He saved us. He saved us. He's certainly going to do something with national Israel. If he took the time to save us, he's going to save them. Which brings us to his fourth thought, Gentile believers have been grafted into the program with Israel. Verse 17, but if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive, and by the way, that describes Gentiles brought in were wild olives, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. Now grammatically speaking, verse 17 is subordinate to verse 18. There's a point to see here And that is we have no right to be arrogant or boast about our relationship with God. We have no right to boast about our relationship with God over Israel because our life and relationship with God is rooted in Israel. It's rooted in Israel. Never forget that. Any relationship with God we have is rooted in Israel. That right there should prompt every one of us to respect Israel, pray for Israel, in fact, love Israel. And what Paul is saying here is God has grafted us into Israel's program. She hasn't been grafted into our program. When our program is done, when we're raptured as the church, it's not that she's going to be grafted into our program. It's our relationship with God has been grafted into hers. We owe a great debt to Israel. Even in Old Testament times, there were some of those Gentiles that did not have the same theological knowledge that we have today that recognize that. For example, in that beautiful story in the book of Ruth, Ruth wanted to join with Naomi. Naomi was Jewish. Ruth was a Moabitess. And Ruth wanted to join with Naomi. And notice the wording of what Ruth used. When Naomi said, you go on home, you go back to your land of the Moabites. She goes, no, I want to go with you for your people. Shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. In other words, she's recognizing we owe a great debt here to Israel to have a relationship with God. It's not that He's ours first, He's Israel's first. We're actually grafted into a program with Israel, and that was Paul's thought that he's developing here. His fifth thought is don't be arrogant against Israel. Verse 18 do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you're arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. The biggest sin people have is arrogance, pride. Horrible sin. It's the biggest sin people have. It's the biggest sin that will destroy you. Understand this. Any relationship you'll ever have with God will not be due to you. It'll be due to Jesus Christ. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you by full grace will have a wonderful relationship with the Lord. But there's not a thing in and of ourselves of which we can boast about when it comes to a relationship with God. And Paul is very clear to point out here, don't you start gloating over the fact that you have a relationship with God now and Israel doesn't have a relationship with God. Don't you brag about that. Don't you gloat about that. Don't you become arrogant about that. Actually, when we come to our own salvation, there's nothing of which we can boast because there's nothing in us that was worthy of even God saving any one of us. He established that in Romans chapters 1, 2, 3. He made it very clear we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous. No, not one of us. So there's not anything we have to gloat about anyway. It's hard to think of people, though, that would actually get to the arrogance in their own mind where they would actually start boasting about the relationship they have with God over Israel. And you know, maybe they don't understand this theologically, but the truth of the matter is most Gentiles have demeaned Israel. Most Gentile nations, most Gentile powers have done nothing but demean Israel. They don't elevate Israel and give her the respect she deserves. They don't honor Jewish people. They demean Jewish people. Anti-Semitism is anti-godly thinking. No believer should ever arrogantly think that we've replaced Israel. Boy, I'll tell you what, this is about as clear as it gets. Because Paul develops this and he says, you need to understand this. Any relationship you have with God is rooted in the nation Israel. And when the Lord Jesus Christ was here on earth... He said to the Samaritan woman, you worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. That's what Jesus Christ said. Salvation is from the Jews. Our salvation is rooted in Israel, so don't ever be arrogant. And if you are discussing with someone, someone who all of a sudden is speaking arrogantly and defiantly against Israel, you tell them, shut their mouth. You don't know what you're talking about. Everything we have in our relationship with God's connected to Israel, came through Israel. That's what Paul's developing here. Now, he's developing a grace gospel that he's taking to the Gentile world, but he certainly wants to drive home the theme, don't you ever minimize Israel. The sixth thought is Gentiles' opportunity for salvation originated in Israel's unbelief. Verse 19 says, you will say then branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. It's true. It's true. Because of unbelief, because of unbelief of the nation Israel, Jesus came to Israel. He came to his own. His own didn't receive him. We learn that from going through the synoptic gospels. And it's true that he temporarily broke off the program with Israel and grafted us in. And it's true that the reason why God cut off the program with Israel was so that Gentiles could be brought into the family. And I want you to grasp this point. We're not in the family of God because we're so great. We're in the family of God because we've been grafted in through faith in Jesus Christ. But God did have a plan that included us. He did have a plan for Israel. He did have a plan for individual Gentiles. But he makes it very clear. Don't think for one second the tree's been chopped down. It hasn't been chopped down. The tree that you've been grafted into still stands. In other words, God did not chop down the tree and put an end to Israel to get us in there. He just basically has grafted us in temporarily to his plan. Which brings us to the seventh thought. Gentile salvation is based on belief in Christ. Notice verse 20. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief. See, they wouldn't believe in Jesus Christ. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited. If any person looks at that verse, what they're going to have to conclude is the relationship we have with God is not based on our works or merit. It is based solely on faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says that's where you stand. That's where you stand. You stand in a relationship with God based on your faith. Israel didn't have that faith. She wouldn't believe She would not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, of not believing, she basically lost favor with God temporarily, and God has grafted us in, those of us who believe. But he said, don't be conceited about this. Fear God. You're not in a relationship with God because of merit. You're in a relationship with God because of faith. And notice carefully what he says in that verse. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief. Now let's think about their unbelief. Their unbelief was religious. I mean, these people had a religion that was second to none. Their unbelief was formal. They had formal rituals that they went through continually at the temple in Jerusalem. I mean, they went through all kinds of formalities and rituals. Their religion was based on works. They even came up with a code of works that if you kept this code, and if you didn't do this, and if you did do this, you'd have a relationship with God. So when you think of unbelief, don't think of the fact that they weren't religious and weren't people that had a bunch of religious works. They had all of that. They wouldn't believe in Jesus Christ. It's just like people today. They really think they're going to work their way to God. I'm going to get before God and there'll be these scales and boy, he put my works on one side and his righteousness on another and then he's going to say, well, come on in. You weren't so bad. They really believe that. They arrogantly think that way. They think their works are going to somehow measure up to the righteousness of God. That's what Israel did. Israel still thinks that way. That somehow by their works they can manipulate a relationship with God. They can earn it. And Paul says, quite right. They've been cut off, all right, because they wouldn't believe in the Lord. You stand in your relationship with God through faith. Which brings us to the eighth thought. If God did not spare Israel, he will not spare the Gentiles if they become arrogant. Verse 21, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Now, as I pointed out in Scripture, the pronoun you is singular, so we're talking about a singular program. He's talking about two singular national programs, one with Israel, one with the Gentiles, and he's basically saying if God was willing to stop a program with Israel, who was the root of everything connected to him, you can be sure of this, he'll stop a program with Gentiles just as fast if they all of a sudden become arrogant And they all of a sudden began to move away from him. If people on this earth could boast about the grace and mercy and blessings of God, it would be Israel. And God did things for her; He's never done for any other nation in the world. He's never, as we mentioned before, parted a sea for any other nation like Israel. He's not done those plagues for any other nation like Israel. I mean, no other nation has ever gone to war and say, let's walk around a city, blow trumpets, and the walls will fall down. I mean, he's done those things for the nation Israel. If God would cut off a program with Israel, you can be certain if a Gentile world becomes arrogant against God, he'll cut off that international program with Gentiles just as fast. And I think, ladies and gentlemen, we are probably nearing the point when there will be a major cutting off. Because at the rapture of the church, what ultimately is going to happen is... The whole program of the Gentiles is coming to a conclusion, and he's going to start hammering Gentile nations. Which brings us to his ninth thought, Gentile grace age believers needs to know about the kindness and severity of God. Notice verse 22. I'm not the one writing this, by the way. Behold, then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, in his grace, otherwise you also will be cut off. People need to know there are two sides to God. Man, this is just being lost. People need to know there are two sides to God. He's not just a God of love and grace. He is that, but that's not all he is. He's also a God of justice and judgment. There is a heaven, there is a hell. And people need to understand that. Every person needs to understand that if one persists in believing in the Lord and developing in the grace of God and fearing God, they will experience wonderful, wonderful blessings all the way through their lives. They'll experience things they wouldn't have experienced without that. If, on the other hand, they become arrogant. We don't need God. We don't need his word. He can cut off his program with Gentiles and go back to Israel again. And a key to this, obviously, as mentioned there in verse 22, continue. It's the word remain. It's the word abide. Remain in that close relationship with the Lord that's focused on the grace of God by faith. You continue in that. You have nothing to worry about. Now, God will not ever send a child of God to hell. That's solved at the cross of Jesus Christ. But what God can do, he can certainly shut down his blessings. When you read those seven churches of Revelation, he warns those churches. You stop listening to me and my word, and I can start causing negative things to hit you. I can cause one right after another to hit you. I can bless you, and I can allow my people to go through blessings. I can also allow my people to experience some real negative things. Now, from a pure eschatological standpoint, God's not going to cut off his program with the nations until after the rapture of the church, and that will be a major turning point. From offering grace to Gentiles to pouring out wrath on Gentiles. But He can intervene right now in Gentile settings and cut off his grace blessings if people ultimately don't stay faithful to him. And I am convinced that you will never grasp grace until you understand the severity of God. To fully grasp the grace and kindness of God, you have to think in terms of his severity In other words, there is a just penalty for sin. There's condemnation. And until you grasp that point, that side of God, you cannot possibly fully appreciate grace. Because when you realize there's just penalty and payment for sin, and then you realize Jesus Christ took all of my sin on himself and washed it away at Calvary, you can't possibly grasp grace until you understand that side of God. Which brings us to the 10th thought. Israel needs to know that if she will believe in Christ and humble herself, God will once again take up a national program with her. Verse 23, And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Boy. We have a number of downloads this month. We're having a record July. And we have a number of downloads this month coming out of Israel. And I want to say this to our Jewish friends who perhaps are listening to this in Israel or anywhere else in the world for that matter. If you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will embrace him as your God, Savior, Messiah, King. You will immediately and instantly be put back into a wonderful relationship with your God. That can happen to you right now. You can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be put into a wonderful relationship with your God. It's by faith. It's by faith. It's not by your religious works. It's not by your religious rituals. It's by faith. Call on the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn your life to him. Ask him to take over your life. And wonderful blessings will come your way right now. Which brings us to his final thought. God has done so much for wild Gentiles, he certainly is going to graft in the natural branches. In verse 24, for if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Paul says in wrapping this thought up, he says, look, you people who've been grafted into the program of God need to understand if God grafted you in there, what do you think he's going to do for the olive tree of which he's grafted you in? In other words, what he's basically saying here is Israel has national importance here. You are the ones who are a bunch of wild grafted in branches, but Israel's the one that has the root. She's the root of everything in a relationship with God. So, What Paul was trying to convince Gentiles here is don't ever minimize Israel. Don't ever think just because you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that you've taken the place of Israel because there is no such thing as a Gentile who's taken the place of Israel. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ today, you thank God for grace because he grafted you as a wild branch into this wonderful program that he established with Israel. And if you've never believed in Jesus Christ, I would just encourage you to invite the Lord Jesus Christ into your life to be your Savior because you're not going to make it by works. Israel's tried that. She's failed. You're not going to make it by religion. Israel's tried that. She's failed. You're not going to make it by rituals. Boy, she's tried that and she's failed. One person can give you a relationship with the Lord, Jesus Christ. Believe on him and you'll be saved. May we pray. If you've never trusted the Lord as Savior right where you sit, you can settle that by praying something like this, God, I'm a sinner, and right now I call out to Jesus Christ to be my Savior. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege we have of knowing you. What a humbling thought that is. We don't deserve that. We thank you that you saw fit to graft us in as these wild branches into a program that has been established with the nation Israel. We want to again uphold Israel. We pray that you would just do wonderful things for that nation. Save many Jewish people. Call them into your family, Lord, through faith in Jesus Christ. May they come to realize he is their God. He is their Messiah. He is their Savior. For anything that you've done here today, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.